Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. We are in, still in our series. We will be until about midway through December in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so you can turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, you can go on your phone. If you go to our live page, you can click. It'll give you all the scriptures that are there as well as the other scriptures that we use this morning. Um, and our series has been called The God of All Comfort. The God of All Comfort. And uh, last uh, week we looked at, uh, and the theme of our series comes from 2 Corinthians, um, where God says, praise the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's what Paul had them write. And if you remember, the reason Paul is writing this letter, it would be like you writing a letter to someone you cared about. Actually, family. It'd be like writing a letter to family. That's one of the things about our church. I was even thinking this morning, that's very weird. Um, our church is very family-oriented. And what I mean by that is, if you come to our church, you'll probably be doing chores in the house pretty quickly, right? Because we set up and tear down every Sunday. We don't, like, get it ready. We do, but we don't, like, it's all here for you. After service, you'll see we tear it down. We put up chairs. And so there's, there's very much a sense of you're going to be known if you come here, and you're probably going to be involved in some way, in some small way, and you'll probably think that it's not significant, but it is. And you need to take comfort in the fact that that's how God intends his church to work. It's not supposed to be a business. I'm not a CEO. I am a fellow member of the family. I happen to be given the privilege of being a shepherd, a pastor, an elder, an overseer, to care for the flock. And that's how I use my gifts and abilities. But I'm not the CEO of this corporation. And so I think sometimes we forget that that's how church is going to be. And then I think sometimes it's hard for us to feel comfort from God and the church because we typically often will interpret who God is and will interpret his family through the experiences that we've been through. So either bad experiences with the church or experiences we think this is the way family should be. And we don't actually read the Bible and find out what God's definition of his character and family is. We just say, well, I'm looking for what I want, what I'm comfortable with. And Paul, if you remember, has written multiple letters to the Corinthian church. This is one of his last letters that he writes. And in this letter, he's reminding them to say, look, I've written some really hard things to you. And at the end of where we're at today, 2 Corinthians, Paul, through the end of the book, starts to talk about some hard things. Again, the first part of the book, about the first 10 chapters, He's really just encouraged by them. He's just giving them comfort because of the way they responded to discipline. They responded to discipline, and especially in the letter of 1 Corinthians, by saying, wow, we didn't understand how God works. We didn't understand how broken the world is. We didn't understand how we needed to respond to that. Wow, now we do and we actually took care of business among the family of God. And Paul hears word from this guy named Titus who went to visit them. And Titus is like, you won't believe it, Paul. They've changed. They've changed everything. They actually believe not what their culture says, but what, how they grew up. But they actually believe in the God of the Bible. And they're holding people accountable to that. And it's amazing. And so Paul writes this letter to say, hey... This is super comforting, and you should be comforted for the way you've responded. And last time I spoke, which was two weeks ago, because last week I was very sick, 
Um, I still have an ear infection, so you can pray for that. Uh, it's hard for them to treat me for infections because I'm allergic to almost every kind of antibiotic. So it gets really difficult. Um, I've had multiple staph infections. Um, they've landed me in the hospital at least once, almost twice. So, you know, whatever, Lord, it's up to you. I find my comfort in you. My health is going to fade. It always does, <laughs> right? And you're going to restore me or you're going to fully restore me in heaven. And so you can pray for me on that. I can't really hear. So it's like an echo chamber in my head when I speak. So it's really interesting. It's like I got a reverb going on. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Paul writing about what biblical boasting and commending looks like. And commending means like applause, praise to someone. What does biblical boasting and commending look like? Because all of us boast and commend, right? But most of the time we don't do it from the perspective of God. Now, Paul continues this theme through the next kind of two chapters. We'll see it. Um, but this week, what I want to look at is fools. Because last week he talks about boasting and commending, and we're going to look at that at the end of chapter 11. And this week, you're going to see where Paul talks about fools. And that's a hard word. You know, the, the, the idea of a fool. But the Bible actually tells us, and we're going to see today, that if we actually believe that God is the source of our comfort, if we actually believe that God is who he says he is, if we actually order our lives for the comfort of God and not the things of this world, we will be labeled fools. We will be labeled fools. Listen, there is nothing more foolish about our faith than that table, communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus didn't say, hey, remember how powerful you're going to be in the Holy Spirit and remember that you have resurrection power to do whatever you want. He said, when I'm gone, I want you to remember the crucifixion, the most foolish act humanity ever did, an act that you're going to have to allow yourself to go through over and over again, pick up your cross and follow me every day of your life, knowing that there's resurrection, knowing that you have spirit power, but understanding that the world's going to see that as foolishness. You see, we have a church today that when we go to the communion table, most of the time we're not thinking about dying to ourselves. We're thinking about getting something. We're thinking about receiving something that we don't have or maybe some answer to prayer. That's not what that table's about. God can answer our prayers. He does. But that table declares, okay, Lord, I'm reordering my mind that the way I live my life doesn't make sense to this world. And I'm not going to find comfort, and I'm not going to find comfort from the people of the world if I live like you lived and give my life like you gave it. That's a hard message. It's a message of foolishness. We'll see. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians eleven 13. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll break it down. Verse 13, he, where we're going to pick up the, the letter of 2 Corinthians, he says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself disguised as an angel of light. So it is no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. Paul says, I repeat, no one should consider me a fool, but if you do consider me a fool, he implies, at least accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. 
What I say in this matter of boasting, I do not speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. Since many boast from a human's perspective, I will also boast, Paul says. For you gladly put up with fools since you're so smart. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, or if someone hits you in the face. I say this to our shame, we have been weak. But whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm, I'm, I'm a better servant of Christ with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from people who are Gentiles, from unbelievers, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking clothing. Boy, that is... Why don't you believe in Jesus? That's great. Let's all, let's all accept Christ and get a list like that for our life. Then he says, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And do I not burn with indignation? If, I boast necess- if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. The eternally blessed one, the God of Father and Lord Jesus Christ, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Artis guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped by his hands. It is necessary to boast. It is not helpful, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So Paul is writing, he's picking up this story. There are people who are fools challenging his apostleship, saying, Paul, you're not really a follower of God. And they're actually using this list he gives as a reason for why Paul hasn't walked with God. All these bad things have happened to Paul because he's not really with God. If you come and follow us, we're going to make your life better. You won't have shipwrecks. You won't have problems. We're going to build great things. And Paul's like, let me compare my list to their list. Let let me tell you what fools look like and fools talk about and what people who understand their mission in the world and what it means to serve God talk about. Let's just lay it out there, Paul says. He says, I don't want to have to do this, but I'm going to do it. That's exactly what Paul is writing to encourage us because we're going through these things. And he's encouraging us because he doesn't want us to fall for it. He doesn't want the Corinthian church to fall for these false teachings, right? Does it mean that God doesn't do blessings? No, Paul in other places lists all the blessings of God that he's done in his life. But our boast is supposed to be about him. And so when Paul says, look, I'm going to boast, then he lays all this out. And it's the wrong things we boast about. And even people that would boast about it, there were those running around saying, oh, I've done some hard things for God. Paul's like, really? Really, you've done some hard things for God, Matt? You, you know, you you got sick for a few days? Ooh, rough. 
How many snakes have you been bitten by? Zero. Oh, hmm, bummer. Shipwrecked? Nah, tipped over a canoe one time, you know. Like, we, we want to boast about how spiritual we are and, and like, oh, and Paul's like, stop it. Just stop. And that's exactly where we pick this up. In 2 Corinthians 13, he warns about these deceitful workers, right? He says they disguise themselves as apostles. They want to give you a list of all the things they want to boast about. Paul tells us, as we just read, I don't want to boast about these things, but I have to. I should be boasting about Christ, but because these people are running their mouth, now I have to defend what's real because they run their mouth about stuff that's not real. I wish we could just talk about God all the time, but I can't because i got to defend all these other things, Paul says. He says, and no wonder Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you realize that almost every religion in the world is founded on the idea that they saw an angel or had a vision, a bright, bright light vision? Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, all of them. They saw an angel, they saw a bright light, and they made their religion up. All of them. So, so was that all God? No. Listen, if you think all paths lead to the same way, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you have not read the texts of other religions and compared them to the Bible. You haven't. Listen, there's a war in the Middle East for a reason, because people who actually read the books and believe the faith that they say they believe, know they don't match up. That's why they're willing to die to fight over it. Because they know they don't match. It's not like they're doing bad things. They're actually true followers of their religion. The people that aren't fighting are the ones that really don't believe in their religion. What they believe is in the religion of this world, which is just survive, have a good life, get through it. And in the end, well, you, you hope you go to heaven because you've been a good enough person. That, there is no religion that teaches that fully. Like, Christianity is the only religion that says you can't work your way to heaven. That's what makes Christianity. Whenever I doubt my faith, believe it, I doubt my faith. I doubt my faith often. The foolish thoughts come into my head. I act like a fool. And when I start doing that, I start doubting my faith sometimes. And every time I start to doubt my faith, I just think the idea of grace and that table is so radical. Like Christianity is the first, you've heard me say this. Christianity, what Paul's writing about, what the Bible talks about, it is the first religion you should dismiss and then check out all the other ones. If it's not true, throw Christianity to the side and move on. Throw Jesus to the side. Do not use Jesus for your model of a good life because that's not what he said, that's not why he came, and that's not what the Old Testament prophesied about it. Do not use him. Just kick him to the curb and go follow Buddha. Go follow Muhammad. Don't add him in. Like, that's what Paul is trying to get them to see because there are people deceiving them. And listen, this is no different than our day. And Paul later, we'll see in a moment, says we love fools because we're fools sometimes. But to give you some encouragement, he says the great things, he says... They disguise themselves, but look, he says their destiny will be according to their works. If you just take a moment and see the logical progression of their works and their life, you'll be all right. 
It amazes me how many people want to follow, for example, Marxism, secular humanism, that there is no God. Do you realize how much of a disaster Karl Marx's life was? Like, we love people's ideas without watching their life. Do you know that Sigmund Freud, Freud, his entire family hated him. His children despised him. And we, we take his, his knowledge and lift it up as like this beautiful, wonderful thing. And I'm like, I don't want my kids to hate me. Karl Marx, he, he was a racist to the core. He believed in eugenics. He believed in a supreme race that was his race, white. That's where we got Planned Parenthood. It's where we got all the ideas of slavery and modern, making sure that the undesirables don't reproduce. That's all Marxism. And yet we give him a pass and we look at the church and the Bible and we go, oh, look, right here they killed some people. That's, that's bad. Marxism has been the most murderous religion because it's a religion it is, whether you want to say it is or not, it meets all the criteria in the world. And yet we fall for it. Because it sounds so good. We're all going to get along. We're going to create a utopia. We're going to get rid of all bad genetics. Every time we tinker with things, it, have you noticed it doesn't get better? We tinker with stuff and then it, like, we have gluten allergies now. No one had gluten allergies 100 years ago. They just ate the wheat out of their field. But we've been tinkering with stuff. Now, I'm not blaming. I'm just saying that's what we do. And it doesn't always end up better. Now, does it end up better in terms of we tinkered with gluten and now we fed more people in the world and starvation is at an all-time low? Yeah. But you got gut problems, too. Like, you, you, you kind of crap yourself a lot more. But, but you're not dying, of, so you're going to live a little longer. Like, I, listen, I'm just saying, we're so foolish, and we love to listen to fools. Look at what, what uh, Jesus said. Jesus said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Take any religion out to its logical conclusion, please. Take any belief system out to its logical conclusion. Do not believe something until you take it out to its logical conclusion. Just stop doing that. Say, okay, if I believe this, then this, then this, then this. Now, does that match with what's true in the world? Is there anywhere in history? Because God says there's nothing new under the sun. Like, take things out to their logical conclusion. We don't do that. Why? Why? Because we love foolishness. I just want to be happy. I just, I just want to feel good. Okay, well then here's a drug. Yeah, it'll make you feel good for a while, but man, you're going to come down off of it. Ephesians says this, and this should encourage you. If you think to yourself, man, I think I am a fool, because I think that all the time. Ephesians says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. In other words, you can't produce this fruit yourself. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Boast about what? Boast about their works. See, when Paul went to defend himself, like we read, Paul didn't defend himself and say, look at all the great things I've done and the results I have. His list was, look at all the garbage that has happened because I've been faithful to God just to do very simple things and preach the gospel. 
You may be someone like me. When I read Ephesians 2 for the first time, I thought to myself, I've been trying my whole life like a fool to earn my way to God. And when I read that verse for the first time in my life, I realized, and I grew up in the church. Every Sunday, missed five Sundays at church my whole life with good people. This was not a bad church. This was a good church. And I did not understand the gospel. I, did not, I was such a fool. And God said, Matt, it's not about your works. It's a free gift. I'm offering you a relationship with a family. And once you accept that relationship, you are no longer a fool. You are a child of mine. And you may act foolish. Listen to those of you who have made a decision to follow Christ. You may still act foolish from time to time. Because that's what kids do. Right? It doesn't matter if they're 70-year-old kids or 7-year-old kids. They just act foolish sometimes. That's why we need people in our lives to look at us and go, quit acting foolish. Just stop it. You're being an idiot. Like, I need that. You need that. Right? God says, that's the purpose of this relationship with me, that I want to give you the guarantee that you are a part of my family, and then I want to give you a spiritual family so that now you can allow me to produce the fruit in you, not you trying to do it on your own works, which make you look like a fool. Because there's nothing we hate more than braggers. There's nothing we despise more than people who walk around and brag and brag and brag. It just makes you want to vomit. And yet that's what most people believe and do about religion. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Confucianism, whatever it is, it's all about doing all these works so that we'll be remembered by someone and get to some result. And the Bible says that is foolish religion. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not ancient Hebrew religion. That's not what it is. Paul goes on to say this. He says, I repeat, no one should consider me a fool. He's like, look, all the fools are calling me a fool, right? We have a battle all the time. You're a fool. No, you're a fool. No, you. Like, this is like two-year-olds. Like, it's a kid's, right? You. No, you. That's what we do. Paul says, look, don't consider me. But, he says, even if you do consider me a fool, at least, look at this, accept me as a fool so that I can boast too. In other words, you're telling me to shut up, but you won't tell the actual fools to shut up. So you know what? If you're going to put up with them, then how about you put up with me too for a minute and be a little foolish and tell you a few things? Like if you're going to put up with fools anyway, well, here's Paul. Here's Matt the fool. Here, I want to tell you some things. And if you go, I'm not listening to that. Well, then who's the fool? Because you'll put up with these people, but you won't with this. It's why we have to be people who understand the world around us. In the Old Testament, there were these men of Issachar. And it said the men of Issachar understood the times in which they lived. In other words, they studied culture. They understood how the scriptures and where they lived collided. And they were careful to inspect and do the scriptures. In the New Testament, there were the men of Berea, the Bereans, who would study the scriptures to make sure they were on track with what God was saying and not what the culture was saying. It's exactly what Paul's laying out. And you look at what he says. He goes, what I say in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. He's like, let me explain something to you. If the Lord was speaking, he would just look at you and be like, um, I'm God. 
Who are you? So I'm not going to speak like that, Paul says. I'm not going to speak like I'm a God, like the other apostles and false prophets do. Nope. I'm not going to speak to you like I have some special revelation. Paul's like, nope, I don't. I have the cross. I have a very simple message. I'm not going to speak like the other ones do. And I wish I could speak as the Lord wants me to speak, but I have to now speak foolishly to you because you only listen to fools. And then he says, since many boast in an unspiritual way, I'll also boast. But I'm going to do it in a spiritual way. So there's a bunch of people running around boasting and they sound really spiritual. They sound like they've got the answers. He goes, and here's what you can always tell. Since many boast according to the flesh, if you want to see if someone's boasting spiritually or unspiritually, look at what they believe about themselves and about other people. So there's a lot of you out here who believe foolishly. You so undervalue who you are. You so self-deprecate self yourself. You so castigate yourself and throw yourself down so low when God says, you are my child, you are loved, I cherish you, I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are mine in Christ. I've given you my word, I've given you all the tools, I've given you the body of Christ, and we go, bleh. It's about me, and I'm miserable, and, eh, and God's like, that's boasting to the, you're boasting, you're telling God about your flesh, and you, God, don't do that. And then there's the people who boast according to the flesh the other way, right? They don't self-deprecate, they self-elevate, right? And they boast and say, look at what I've done, and if you just did what I did, and here's my stack of books, the, these are the books I've written about how to do church and do life, and if you just do these books for, you know, $999 and become a part, part of my coaching seminar, then everything's going to turn out well for you. What if God does it? Like, do you know how well, like, church growth books work in Iran? They don't work. At all. You want to know why? Because when they find out you're a Christian, they just kill you. Well, the books don't work. No, they don't. They don't work. Because it's not about getting some fleshly reward. It's about getting and understanding that you've been given a new life and that you crucify your flesh because you're so confident in a flesh and in a heaven and a new earth that's coming. I don't need... Mr. Musk, to take me to Mars. God's going to create a new earth here. He's going to take all the mess we've made and made it new. I don't need to go to Mars. I'm good. But yet we're so excited about, oh, let's colonate Mars. You know, great. Go colonate Mars. I just stay here and tell people about Jesus. Now, somebody might have to travel to Mars to tell them about Jesus. I don't know. Maybe that'll be you. But we get so caught up in these foolish things. And Paul's like, I hate talking about this. I don't want to talk about these foolish things, but I don't have an option because you are so used to listening to unspiritual, foolish ways that I have to use those ways to drag you in to get you to see the truth. That's what he's saying. Look at what Psalm says. Psalm says, I will praise the Lord at all times. All times, when you, when you can't breathe and you're hacking up a lung and you're mad at God and you'll praise the Lord after you sin? Or do you go try to do a bunch of stuff to make up for it? Or do you just praise the Lord and say, God, here I am again. 
I'm a mess. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're a good father. I admit it. I'm not trying to cover it up. Dang, I just... He goes on, he says, I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Most of us, when we hear God's word, we're like, when will it be over? When we read God's word, most of us have been taught to read God's word and like, well, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. Oh, I want to do this. And then we go out and try to do it all and we're miserable. No, the humble hear it, read it, and they're like, wow, I'm so glad that's true. And I am so not there. (laughs) I'm so glad that's true. And Lord, I am not there. Help me. As long as it takes. They don't run out and try to fix it. They cry out to God in humility. And then he says, proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Don't proclaim your own greatness. Don't proclaim FX Church's greatness. Proclaim his greatness. Listen, the reason we have an evangelism problem and Christianity has a PR problem in our culture is because we keep declaring the greatness of everything else but God himself. Stop it. Get used to just talking like God is great to people and they won't be surprised when you tell them you believe in Jesus. They'll be like, I figured. But Christians are running around hiding. We don't want to boast about Christ. Why? Because we know it may lead to that table. We know that that list of things Paul has may be for us, and I don't want that list, so I just keep my mouth shut. I don't want to offend anyone. So let me get this straight. Your coworkers on Monday can talk about the football game, the basketball game, for like half the day and argue about it and not get any work done, which is their favorite thing to do and the thing they love, but you're not going to talk about your favorite thing and the thing you love? I got to go to church on Sunday. I got to see my people. I got to talk to this person. I got to pray with this person. I got to go to small group. I got to, this is so great. Like if we would just talk like that, evangelism would be easy. If you would say, I was reading this morning and I just realized something about the world that was really cool. It was amazing to me. And I'm just, I'm just happy today because of that. If we look at our people and say, man, I'm struggling today because I was reading the Bible and I know I just don't measure up to that. And then I was thinking about how I treat all you this, in this office. And I just, you know what? Could you just hold me accountable not to treat you that way if I say or do that? Could you just kind of confront me? If you did that, can you imagine what your professor or coworker, they'd be like, uh, okay. Like, yeah, because I, I'm not trying to impress you. I just want to walk with God. And I know I'm probably not. And I'm... God can speak through anybody. See, if we would boast about this instead of all the foolish stuff, right? Then the gospel would be spread, but we keep boasting as fools. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's like, the one who boasts, you have to boast in the Lord. Quit boasting in yourself. Now, does that mean we can't talk about these other things? No, Paul lists all kinds of things he's going to talk about. 2 Corinthians, he goes on, he goes, but it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. Again, this isn't us, it's from him. I'm not in Christ because of all my works, because I've boasted before God, because I've proved something. No, I'm in Christ because of what Christ did. He died for me. His body, his blood paid the price for my sin. He bought me out of slavery and set me free. 
Now, freedom comes with responsibility. We've forgotten that. We think freedom is the freedom to do whatever we want. No, true freedom comes with responsibility. And then he says, look at this. Who, Jesus, being God-given wisdom for us, is our righteousness, so he's the one that makes us right. Our sanctification, he's the one that makes us pure and sets us apart. And our redemption, he's the one that buys us back. Yet those are the three things that everybody loves to boast about. I'm right. This is how pure I am. My diet's the most pure diet. It'll save your life. Right? And I can redeem you. I can give you all the things you're looking for. No, you can't. That's not possible because it's right here. Only Jesus can do that. And then he says, look, in order that as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Jeremiah says it this way. This is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. Ha! We're at Indiana University. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what everybody does at Indiana University. Here's all my degrees. Here's all the, the publications I've been in. Here's like you read a bio of any professor and it's just like, eh. Great. Are you a good dad? Have you raised children that respect others and live good lives? Are you in debt up to your eyeballs and you don't know how to manage money? No, we don't ask any of those questions. Why? Because we're just like the fools. We're looking for some answer for something that we desire instead of the whole picture. He goes on. He says, the strong man must not boast in his strength. Yeah, because you're going to get old and weak and flabby. That's what happens. You can't keep it forever. Your body, your cells actually break down. Your ligaments start to no longer function properly. Like they just pop, like boop. And you're like, what? I just been, oh, I got out of bed. Yep, that's what happens. You can boast in your strength all you want. I was watching a video this week of a guy that's coaching bodybuilders and you see his picture when he was in his 20s and 30s and he was a bodybuilder and now you look at him now and you're like, why is that guy coaching those people? Like literally, you look at him like, I don't think you should be a coach of them. Like you need, I think you should be playing golf somewhere. Like you don't look like a, like he's all beard, white. He's kind of hunched over. And he's telling these guys and he's all skinny. And you're like, no. And then you look at his picture like, how? Because the Lord humbles us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to trust in things that will not last. He wants us to trust in the one thing that will last forever. And then he goes on and he says, look at this. He goes, the wealthy must not boast in their wealth. Well, I got my retirement saved up. I'm good. Yeah, until inflation hits and you're retired and the dollar's not worth anything. Look at Venezuela. Venezuela, there were tons of people who had big investments and their culture fell apart because of dumb politicians who did not manage their money properly. And those people are suffering terribly. And we should pray for them. We should weep for them. We should love them. But it is a mess. And you don't think that could happen to us? It's happened to every empire ever. The only reason the money you have, you don't wipe with it, is because the government says it's worth something. If the government falls apart or declares it's not worth anything, we're going to start wiping with it. Then he goes on and he says, look, but the one who boasts should boast in this. Look at this, look at this. That he understands and knows me. Let me ask you, how much of your day is spent boasting about how much you get to understand and know who God is? That's got to change for all of us. And then he says, I am Yahweh, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness. Those are the three things everyone talks about and longs for. 
That's the short list of everything. Love, what's right, and there's no justice in the earth. Yeah, I'm the one that shows what true love really is, what true justice really is. I give you what's right, for I delight in these things. The problem is everybody's running around and they don't delight in my love and my justice and my righteousness. No, no, no. They delight in their own love, their own justice, and their own righteousness. Paul says this in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthian church. Look at what Paul wrote in his first letter to this church. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. In other words, it's not about doing religious works. It's not about getting baptized that gets you saved. Baptism doesn't save you. It just gets you wet. Now, why did you get wet? Well, I got wet so that I could publicly de declare to people that I was going under the water and coming back up to live a new life. Someday, you know what God's going to do? He's going to put me under the earth. I'm not coming back up for a while until he resurrects. Does that make sense? And so that's what baptism is. Look what he says. I came to evangelize. Look, this should encourage you. Not with clever words. So that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. What's the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ says, Paul, your words are foolish compared to the glory and majesty and wisdom of God. It's not wrong to speak. It's not wrong to give words. But really... It's, there's no comparison. And then he says, look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, if you're perishing and you're dying, there's two options you have. And I've seen it as a pastor. I know of anybody in healthcare, they've seen it. It's either panic and dread and trying to cling to this life, or there is a peace because you're ready to pass to the next. There is no in-between when people come to the end of their life. And Paul says that. He's like, he's like, look, it's foolishness to those who are perishing and trying to cling to everything here. He says, but it's God's power to those who are being saved. The message of the cross. And then he says, look at this. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Well, IU's got a lot of philosophers. Where is the scholar? Oh, there's a lot of scholars. Where is the debater of this age? Oh, there's a lot of debates. Hasn't God made the words, made the world's wisdom foolish? For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. See, fools always want God to respond to them. Wise people know that God's already responded to them. And they just want to surrender to what he wants. He goes on and he says, look, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. The Jewish people know they're supposed to suffer. They understand that, but they don't understand that there's already a Messiah who's paid the price for them. And the Gentiles, they don't want to suffer. They think they can be Alexander the Great or Napoleon and take over the world. That's why we love hero movies, because they, they win. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to be able to surrender your life. Paul goes on to say this. He says, for you being wise, 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen, 19, gladly put up with fools. Read that again. For you who think you're wise, you think you are so smart, gladly put up 
with fools. That's what we do. We gladly put up with it. Why? Why do we do that, Paul says? It's okay to be foolish, but why do you put up with it? And it's a good question. It's a good question to say, why do we put up with foolishness? Well, because they're children. We're all children, and we need to be discipled. The question is, well, are you putting it up because you want people to get better, or are you putting up with foolishness because you don't want to fight? And that's what Paul's getting to. Look at what Psalm says. Psalm said, the fool says in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. The fool says in his heart that they can figure out this world and, and the universes and the multi-universes. And then they get proven wrong and they realize, no, I can't figure this out. This is way bigger than anything I thought. Like every, Do you realize that at the end of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, so the late 1800s, they actually believed that all the information in the world was getting ready to like fully be known. It, it, was, a, it was a wide-held scientific belief that they were actually going to come to a place of like, we're going to understand everything. And then the Industrial Revolution happened that began to give us options to look into space they begin to teach us germ theory, and all of a sudden we started finding universes we didn't even understand, and all of a sudden it was like, we are never going to understand everything. Proverbs says, over 80 times, Proverbs uses the, the word fool or foolishness. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. How do you like being disciplined? Fools despise it. I don't want to be disciplined. I want to do my life my way, the way I'm supposed to do it. That's foolish. You're going to end up, no. It says, learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. See, you can't learn if you don't think you're foolish. If you think you're foolish, you can learn. Because <laughs> I need to learn something. He goes on, he says, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. I got this. I know this. I, I can fix this. Every time I go there, I'm like, oh no. Like when I hear myself say that, I'm like, something's going to blow up. Something bad's going to happen. And it does every time. Like whenever I'm working on cars, for, for a number of years, I was like, oh, I can do this. Now I know to pray about the pesky bolt, Right? I always pray when I go to fix a car for the pesky bolt, and it's never, I do pray, God, I don't want a pesky bolt, but I know it's coming because God is more concerned about teaching me patience than he is about the pesky bolt. And so I know it's coming, so then I'm like, God, give me patience to endure this pesky bolt. Give me patience. I was helping somebody with their car one time, Mark Johnson, who we prayed for, who's bringing some students from Iowa, right? Helping Mark with a car repair, and you had to drop this frame bolt down to get the alternator. We we're just changing the alternator out. Should be an easy job. Not on this car. It was a Nissan Rogue, by the way. Don't buy one. Anyway, so I'm pulling this bolt, and the frame bolt, it's a bolt this long, about that big around, breaks off. It's the bolt that holds the whole frame of the car together on the front end, and it's snapped off inside the shaft. An hour job turned into 15 hours of me going over to Mark's house and buying, I don't know, 15 different drill bits 
to drill that out and figure out how to get a new bolt in, to cut the side of the frame out so I could get in. It was a disaster. Why? Well, probably because God wanted Mark and I to spend more time together. Because God knows I'm an impatient person and he wanted me to be patient. Because God provided me a lot of drill bits and I could go through them and give him praise every time I, like, God, you gave me this one. That's praise the Lord. And I got to buy this one. But oh, you gave me another. Like, not, God gave me all kinds of opportunities to not be a fool. Do you think I sounded more like a fool working on that car or more like a boasting praise giver working on that car? I'll just let you think about that for a minute. See, this is what we have to decide. Paul goes on, he says this, in fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, if someone hits you in the face, I say this to our shame, we have been weak. Look, we're supposed to be weak. That's the message next week. Next Sunday is weakness. We're supposed to be weak, but we're not supposed to be fools in our weakness. Don't be a fool in your weakness. See, fools say this. Well, I'm just taking it all for the glory of God. Yeah, I just, you know, I just have to let everybody beat me up. And no. Well, well Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Uh, yeah, and he's coming back someday with a sword and he's going to annihilate the earth by fire. He's got two sides. So does that mean I take everything into my own hands? No, that's foolish, right? You're still weak, but don't use your weakness in a foolish way. Use it in a wise way. Don't put up with your brother being enslaved. Don't put up with it. The church did for a long time. To our shame, it led to a civil war and over half a million people dead because we wouldn't follow the biblical advice right here. It's written. And Christians were running around. Well, God says we can enslave people. Well, yeah, you can do a lot of things. But is it wise? Is that the way we're supposed to use our weakness and our brother's weakness? If someone devours you, well, I just got to be devoured. No, you don't. You don't. And if you put up with it and you don't confront it and don't walk through it and don't invite other people into the process, then you have the, the spiritual and physical abuse problem that we have in the church. Now, does that mean you get to do whatever you want? No, 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 no. You got to involve other people, right? If someone hits you in the face, do you just, well, got to let them hit the other side. Well, maybe you do, maybe not. Maybe they're going to hit you and hit the other side and then they're going to come in and kill 10 other people. Maybe you need to step up to say no more. What if we, see, this is what was being practiced when Hitler was taking over. The reason Hitler got so much power when he did is because everyone used this verse to say, well, we can't go into another war. That cost a lot of lives. We just need to be spiritual. We just need to pray for him. We just need to pray. He's an evil dictator who's, a, who's, who's addicted to meth. I don't think he should be leading the world's powerful army. And finally, Winston Churchill said, enough is enough. Quit appeasing this man. Is it costly when we do that? That's exactly why Paul gave his whole list of credentials. It's going to be costly to you if you stand up for what's right. If you don't play the fool and you actually live wise. You see, we're a weak church today. We either pretend to be strong when we're weak or we act strong and think we're not weak. 
And God says it's both. You have to trust me. You have to walk with me. You see, Paul and most of the other apostles would be labeled abusive today for their words and the way they handled people. They would. You can't say that. You can't do that. Now, did Paul beat anybody up? Nope, they didn't. They didn't lay hands on people except to heal them. See, because like our world, we've come to what Paul was battling, which is pragmatic, therapeutic, moral deism. I've said this almost every week we've been in this series, or most weeks. We say whatever works is not foolish. Whatever makes me feel better is not foolish. And whatever I deem is moral because it works and it makes me feel better is not foolish. And God leaves me alone to play the fool. Deism is he's out somewhere and he's not actually a part of my life. I can do whatever I want and someday he'll judge me. No, that's not what the Bible says. He goes on and says this, but in whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly. Paul's like, I don't want to boast, but anyone dares boast. I also dare. Look at this list. Okay, we're going to go through this quick. Look at this list. There are people walking around saying, I'm from Abraham. I've got the first five books of the Old Testament memorized because that's what Jewish school was. You had to memorize the Torah. Like, I'm a Hebrew. I, I, I grew up in the church. My daddy and my grandpappy and my great-grandpappy, they were all pastors. Paul's like, what? He goes, okay, look. I'm going to boast a little bit here and I'm going to talk foolishly because I have to because you're listening to these people who bring you this garbage. So they say they're really great Hebrews. Um, so am I. Paul was a Pharisee. That meant he had the whole Bible memorized, not just the first five books. And remember, the educational standard for a Pharisee was this. He was still speaking when another message came and... Keep, keep going until we tell you to stop. That's how you qualified to be a Pharisee. You had to keep reading by memory. All of it until they said, that's enough. And then they would drop another verse and do the same thing. And you'd have to pick it up and begin to read it. That was the Pharisaical training. Paul's like, you think you're Hebrew? I had this entire book memorized and I missed all of it. I was a fool. And then he says, are they the seed of Abraham? In other words, can they trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham, which was a really big deal at that time? Paul's like, I, I can. He goes on and he says, on frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among the false bro brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, even without food, uh, cold and lacking clothing. Paul's boasting and he's like, look, here's all the things I'm going to boast to you about. They're going to boast about all the other stuff. This is what I've been through. You ready for this? So that I could tell you about the cross. So I could tell you about Jesus. So I could tell people who have never heard that there is hope for them in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this foolish world, in the midst of their own foolishness, that those people who recognize the foolishness of themselves in the world, he's like, listen, I faced all of this stuff. So either I am a fool, Paul's saying, because this is how my life is gone, or I'm not a fool and they are. You got to choose. 
Choose today whom you will serve. He goes on, he says, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. This is probably, for me, out of this list, because I have not dealt with a lot of these things, the hardest one. And Paul says it should be the hardest one. Do you so care for the church, for God's people, for his bride, that you feel a daily pressure to want to pray for the people sitting in this room and pray for other believers and pray for persecuted believers. And like, do you feel, or is it all the other pressures that you feel on a daily basis? Well, we're going to fix for dinner. And I don't know how I'm going to fix that deck problem. And I don't know how I'm going to do this and this and this. And this. Or are there pressures that you really experience? Like Paul says, he's like, the real pressure I'm under is my love for the church. Listen, there is no pressure I feel more deeply than the fact that I know that I don't measure up to lead this church. It is the thing that weighs on me every day. Why me, Lord? I know men and women and people that are way, way better than I am. That are way less foolish, in my opinion, than I am. Why me? And why, why does, do these people have to suffer and their children die and they lose a child and mine get well? And that pressure just is overwhelming, Paul says. He's like, yeah, I went through all this stuff. He's like, that's nothing. The real pressure is the reality that people are perishing and that there is a church God is building. And that is the pressure that sits on me every day. So when I go through these other things, oh, I'm overwhelmed. He goes on and he says, hey, here's the deal. Who is weak? I'm not weak. I mean, last week, Paul said what? Or two weeks ago. He's like, I can't speak, right? I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible speaker. <laughs> he says, I do not burn. He goes, who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. You don't think I struggle and stumble? When we get into chapter 12 next week, Paul talks about his struggle three times. God, take this away from me. And God's answer to him three times was, my grace is sufficient for you. I've taken care of it, Paul. Quit praying about this. You're just gonna have to deal with it. But that's real life. That's your job. That's your family. You're gonna look at your kids someday and they're gonna cry and they're gonna ask God, take this sickness away, take this problem away. And you're gonna have to look at them and say, God's grace is sufficient for our family. I can't fix this. And then he goes on and he says, look at this. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. I will boast about my weaknesses. I am not going to boast about how I've got everything figured out. I'm not going to write 10 books about how all these things are going to be fixed and I've got the answers. I'm going to boast about how weak I am and our desperate need for that table, our desperate need for Christ. That's what I'm going to boast about. He goes on and he says, but he said to me, this is what we're going to see later next week, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure. What do you take pleasure in? Here's Paul's list. Weakness, insults, catastrophes, 
persecutions, pressures. Not because I like insults, persecutions, and pressures, but because all those things are coming on me because I know I'm walking with Jesus and I've got an enemy who disguises himself as an angel of light who's tearing me down. And then he says, for when I am weak, oh, then I'm strong. Because if you get Paul out of the way, if you get the flesh out of the way and you take on Christ, now you have the strength to endure the cross, to pick up your cross and follow. And not just the strength, you can, like Jesus, find pleasure in doing it, he says. And fools don't find pleasure in it. You see, there are no solutions in this life, folks. There are just trade-offs. Thomas Sowell said that. There are no solutions in their life. They're just trade-offs. You're just picking trade-offs. Paul says it's better to be unmarried. Well, yeah, but men live typically seven years less if they're unmarried. Women, you still live the same amount whether you marry or not. But men are in a desperate position. Married men in our culture live seven years longer than single men. Well, but it's better to stay unmarried. Well, it might be. Just know that you might die early and that may be better for you. He goes on and he says this. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, he says this in 1 Corinthians, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I did not think it was good idea to know anything among you except Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, and him crucified. Wait, wait, hold on. Yahweh, who's the God of the Old Testament, who like, smashed mountains and sent fire from heaven and did all kinds of crazy stuff. Yahweh, who's supposed to save us out of this mess we're in, in the Roman Empire and the subjugation and the taxes and the, all the stuff, who's the Messiah who was promised to come, was crucified? I mean, I was kind of looking more for like Thor. He looks really good. He's really powerful. You know what I mean? Or maybe even Captain Marvel, because I like the female version rather than the male version of like power and success. Sorry, that's not the message God gives us. If you've asked to be a part of Christianity, this is what you bought in for. And then he says, look at this. I came to you in weakness and much fear and trembling. We think we're being foolish because we have weakness, fear, and trembling. That's not foolishness. That's wisdom. But you still have to act. You still have to go. You don't just shrink back. You move forward in the midst of the weakness, the fear, and the trembling, Paul says. Romans wraps up with this. He says, Paul writes in Romans in 8.28, In the same way, the Spirit also joins us to help us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray. For as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Let me ask you, which is better? Our prayers that we act so confident in or the Holy Spirit prayers that we don't even know He's praying? And we have taught people to pray in our culture to declare and demand things from God in Jesus' name versus saying, God, I think this is what you want. I think this is what your word says. I'm pretty sure this is what the promises are, but I trust you. That's the way we're supposed to pray. But we love to hear the people that say we can name it and claim it. Even this morning, when I was going back through my message, I thought, man, I really want to go to a church this morning that can hear, heal my ear infection. I really do. 
I want to go somewhere, and you've seen those TV preachers, and they're like, pah, and you're pop, and you're like, oh, I can hear now. Maybe that's real. I don't know. I'm not judging them. I'm just like, my selfishness was like, I would rather go get something for me and get a prayer answered than to stand before my people and love them and preach the word of God. That crossed my mind this morning. Because I'm sick of this. God's like, really? You're not shipwrecked? Shut up. You'll be fine. Paul says, man, we've got the Holy Spirit praying for us even when we're foolish. It's amazing. You see, this week I watched this video called The Insanity of God. I would encourage you this week to watch this. I don't typically promote videos, but this is an IMB missionary couple that we supported for 13 years. They were 13 years of our giving went to them on the mission field. And so I trust this couple. They've been vetted. They, they've given their lives. They had a son die of an asthmatic attack as a teenager on the mission field in Kenya. And it caused his faith, his father's faith to tank. And he was ready to quit missionary work, deny the gospel, and turn his back. And instead, God asked him to go talk to all the persecuted believers around the world and to go get their stories. And when he went around and heard the stories of the faithfulness of these people who were living, it broke him. And at one point, I won't give it away, at one point in the movie, his son's story becomes the defining moment for an entire nation and the gospel mission in that nation. Because he couldn't understand why his son was taken. And in an interview he was having with a persecuted brother, it hit the other brother what had happened to him and it changed the other brother's life in such a way that the gospel exploded across the nation where there's no gospel presence hardly at all. This is what it looks like, the insanity, the foolishness of God. You see, the world is going to look at us as fools. This seems like foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, this is life. That seems like foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's life. Finally, Paul says this. Look, if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. Ty finishes up chapter 11. If it's necessary, that's what I'll do. And then he says... The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. Everything I've just shared with you, he says, you know I'm not lying about this. You know you're attracted to the foolishness of the world. You're attracted to be a fool more than you're attracted to be Christ. You know I'm not lying about this. Check your heart. And then he says, look, in Damascus, the governor under King Artis guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. All those lists of catastrophes Paul had and this story you can find in the book of Acts. Another author, the author Luke, verified that Paul wasn't lying because he wrote Paul's down, story down. And Paul knew that his story was written by eyewitnesses. So when he says, I'm not lying, he's like, you can go check the eyewitness account of Acts that Luke wrote. This is how it went down. Now listen, why was Paul going to Damascus in the first place? See, some of you have come to IU. You're here to be a student. God brought you here to be a student. And then you weren't a student. And then you were a student. Maybe you're not a student. I don't know. Why did Paul, why was Paul going to Damascus? You remember? To persecute and kill Christians. He was on the road. And God stopped him 
blinded him, right? And then he was healed miraculously. So now Paul, who's the guy that was coming to Damascus with government papers to kill Christians, is now in Damascus and has to tell them, um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm a Christian now. Well, that's not why we gave you a scholarship to come to IU. Yeah, I know. I mean, maybe you have to take the scholarship away. I don't know, but uh, this Jesus thing is real. Sorry. So now Paul's in Damascus, and he's like preaching the gospel, and they want to kill him. Why? Because he's a traitor. And he's like, it got so bad for me. He's like, look, if you believe in pragmatic, moral, theistic deism, just this story's enough. I was going to Damascus with everyone loving me in the world. The Romans, the Jewish religious leaders, everybody was like, Paul, it was Saul. Saul, 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 we love Saul. He's going to get rid of these Christians. Then I get to Damascus and now everyone wants to kill me. It got so bad, they had to lower me in a basket. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on like, I don't know, the, in the Union Tower, in the office, right? We have to kick out the window and we're lowering you out the window, right? Because they're coming up the tower in the elevator. and You're like, Lord, run, run, and you're running across campus. Paul's like, that's embarrassing. That looks really foolish. If you look up, like, there's a guy coming out of a window on the Union. What is going on? And then he takes off running. And Paul, of course, it says he's short, right, and stocky. So he probably was not a good runner, right? And so here's Paul, like, you know, trying to get away. And they have to smuggle him out of the city in the middle of the night. Like, that's embarrassing. He's like, no, 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 no. That was the moment that I realized that I was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the reason you sit here today, the reason I sit here today is because someone lowered Paul out of a window. And because God spared him from being killed by the Jewish countrymen so he could preach the gospel to the world. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what God has in store, but God has moments in our lives where he does this. He gives us a reminder. He gives us these, these reminders throughout the scripture. Communion, the Lord's Supper is a reminder. It's a small reminder of a great banquet meal we're going to have someday. This is just a partial meal. It's just a taste for someday what we're going to have forever. So Paul says, look, if boasting is necessary, it is, but it's not profitable. If you really want real profit, Boast about him. Don't boast about yourself. If you really want profit in your life, you really want to see your life count, boast about how great God is. Quit thinking about yourself. Quit it. Now, does that mean we don't acknowledge our hurt and our pain and get counseling when we need it? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the constant self-focus instead of getting in God's word and focusing on him. Yeah, sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need to talk about what we're going through. We need to boast a little bit about what's happening and what God's done. I get that. But man, it's not nearly as profitable as that. And then Paul says this as he wraps up. Very simply. I love this. He goes, you know, you thought I was done, but no. He goes, here's this other part. In verse 12, he says, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So I've talked about foolishness and visions but here, and, and stuff, but here's the deal. 
you think, well, yeah, that's why I want these big, giant visions and revelations. And Paul's like, gosh, no, it's not what this is about. It's about the cross. This morning, let me ask you, are you a fool? Don't say that out loud. Are you a fool? I am. I want to be. I want to be a fool for Christ. I want to be someone that that finds my full comfort in who God and Christ is and the belief that he has saved me and that he bought me with a price and that I'm his child, loved and cared for. And I don't want to be a fool in a way that causes my destruction. Some of you may never have accepted Christ that when it says the fool believes in his heart that God doesn't exist, that you've been struggling with that. Maybe it's time for you to finally give up on trying to find all the comfort of this world and come to God and say, you know what? I'm done. I've been a fool and I want to trust you. And he says, I will comfort you. I want to be the father you never had. I want to give you a family you never thought was possible. That's what God tells us. And for some of us in this room, we're still acting foolishly. Let me encourage you. You'll see next week what Paul talks about. That that will probably never stop. You will keep doing foolish things. But the best part about it is that you can this morning rejoice and smile because of what Christ has done for you. That you are not a fool in his eyes. You're his child. And you might act foolish and that's why God disciplines you. Because he doesn't want foolish children because they represent him. But he still loves you cares for you. He wants you to know him more deeply than you can imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. Lord, I thank you for Paul talking about what it means to be a fool. I thank you for what you've done in our lives and what you continue to do in our lives. Lord, I thank you that this morning we get to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. It's just a taste of what we'll have one day with you. And so, Lord, this morning, if anyone doesn't know you, if anyone has never surrendered their life to you, I, t- I pray that if they haven't done that, that they would do it. And all they have to do is pray and say, I'm done. I've been a fool and I want to surrender to you. And if they do that, then the Bible says by faith that you bring your grace, a free gift that's offered. And then you will change them. You will come into their life and you will do your work. For those of us who are believers, I pray this morning we would celebrate. We would find joy in a small taste of what you've done and what the book of Revelation says is coming one day, which is a new life where we don't get just a taste and a little bit of a sample, but we get eternity to feast with you and with your people. And we rejoice in that this morning. We pray. Amen. 